I like the classic fairy tales very, very much, but somehow they're very predictable. I would rather take the format for a fairy tale and tell a story that you have never heard before, but still is in the format of a fairy tale. And so I guess that's basically the difference between Walt Disney Studio and Sullivan Blue Studios, is we're trying to do stories that you may not have seen before. In my mind, when I think of a beloved cartoonist that helped so many of us grow up, I think of one creative soul, an artist with a large capital D, no pun intended. Zing! And while you may be thinking of the king of the house of mouse, that is not oh, the no. D I am thinking of. Nope. This is the story of Don Bluth. This is Toys R Us. Uh, what's your name, little buddy? Banjo. <gasps> Ooh, a sparkly. Dragon's Lair, the fantasy adventure where you become a valiant knight on a quest to rescue the fair princess from the clutches of an evil dragon. family in the big earth shake um you want to go with me yeah oh okay. oh yes 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 i do i do where am i this is the great hall of judgment judgment oh not to worry charlie you'll go to heaven all dogs go to heaven because unlike people dogs are naturally good and loyal and kind oh yeah, that's true cock-a-doo what a day the sun is shining brightly, cock-a-doo sunny day, down here on the farm. Tumbleina! She's a funny little squirt. Tumbleina! Tiny angel in a skirt. Tumbleina! First she's mending, then baking, pretending she's making things hum. Tumbleina! A troll in Central Park. The Pebble and the Penguin. Dancing bear. Painted wings, things I almost remember, and a song someone sings once upon a December. Titan A.E. Get ready for the human race. Hello. Hi. Welcome to day one of the 12 Days of Christmas. Nice. And I know that it's not like... The, or I guess you would say, canon 12 Days of Christmas. Yeah. Because that bleeds into January. It does. But I want January to start season two. Yeah. So we're doing 12 Days of Christmas from now until Christmas. Boom. Welcome to the Toys R Us podcast. Hi. My name is Richard Hunt, and with me as always is my cousin and co-host, Brian Youth. Hey, everybody. Brian, we had a lot of fun doing the 13 Days of Halloween. We did. So much fun that we decided to load up the sleigh to deliver to you 12 episodes in a row. Unlike the 13 Days of Halloween, which was spooky, scary, skeleton-themed, hmm. the 12 Days of Christmas will have a new theme every year. And this year's theme is the 12 Days of Don Bluth. Boom. Where better a place to start our journey than with the man himself? Are you ready to dive in? Let's do it. We are short We start our story in 1937. Oh, damn. 
Or I mean, uh, oh, damn. That's a French-ass name, Yvonne. <laughs> My little croissant. <laughs> My little croissant. You got a boyfriend? He's like Mike and Ike's. He's <laughs> going to get you Mike and Ike's. So can I have it? Can I have your number? Can I have it, though? <laughs> can I have it? <laughs> what, like, do you, <laughs> you think Saturday Night Live is, like, so pissed that one of the most iconic sketch moments came from Mad TV? <laughs> right? Seriously. Like, that gets quoted so fucking much, man. It, it really does. But can I have it, though? <laughs> That's what SNL is saying about that skit. Can I have it, though? The back of your head is ridiculous. <laughs> okay, Mr. Gene Shallot. <laughs> What's up, do? God. Yeah, 1937. We're meeting up with a brand new bouncing baby boy. Bouncing baby boy. I intended to write brand spanking new bouncing baby boy. What I wrote was brand spanky new. <laughs> uh, this is what happens when you write scripts at 4 a.m. I'm still a piece of garbage. <laughs> Born on September 13th, 1937. The second oldest of seven children. Donald. That's a lot of fucking that's kids. That's a lot of fucking kids. Donald Virgil Bluth. Okay. I think he's probably about the only person who can get away with that. Yeah. 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 But since he's a Bluth, does he have a Bluth chicken dance? <laughs> they all have a different chicken dance? They do. You're, you're even scared to ask a girl out on a date. Wait, no, why does everybody think that I'm scared of girls? Because you're a chicken. You're oh, a no. chicken. Cuckoo kacha! Cuckoo kacha! Yeah. What are you doing? Michael yeah. and women. A cuckoo kaka. That's what I was just telling you. I haven't found the right girl. When I do, I will ask her out. Has anyone in this family ever even seen a chicken? Wait, wait. I got the perfect name. That's enough. Oh, come on! He spent his earliest years in El Paso, Texas. Hmm. Out in the Okay. <laughs> Alrighty then. Turns for Emmeline Pratt and Virgil Bluth. Then a policeman and later a private investigator. Pretty fucking cool. It is cool. Don is a direct descendant. Okay? Yeah. Of Pocahontas. Get the fuck out of here. That's pretty baller. That's fucking cool, man. That is cool. That's pretty fucking cool. Just to think, the world is fucking so goddamn cool sometimes, man. Out of all the people that you would have, that yeah. I would have thought you would have said, you'd been like, guess what? Guess who he's related to? Pocahontas would be probably yeah. dead last Not audience. even, it wouldn't even be on the fucking radar. Yeah, that's true. Be like, po- Pocahontas? Pocahontas. Hmm. Huh. All right. Well, colors of the wind. Yeah. Which, hey, (laughs) tell me he didn't fucking paint with all the colors of the fucking wind. Fucking A. When he was six years old, the family moved to Payson, Utah, where he lived on a family farm. Bluth remembered the time as milking 24 cows morning and night and singing Disney songs. Even then, he was honestly dreaming of working at Disney. Same. Bluth's initial experience with Disney was as a member of the audience at age seven. How was he on the Mickey Mouse Club? No, he was, uh... It was, he was seeing Snow White. Oh. The first one was Snow White. I was extremely impressed with it, and when I got home, I tried to draw Snow White and the dwarves. All of them. Oh, wow. From memory, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. That's like that picture of 
this woman who like made a Star Wars Oh, flight suit? Flight suit. From seeing the movie? Yes. Repeatedly? Yes. Yeah, I saw that. That's that's fucking... Fuck yeah. That's great, man. That's determination. And then it's like, think about all these fucking nerd boys that probably talk shit to her, and it's like, sit the fuck down. Yeah. Stay in your fucking lane. You know, like... Oh, man. Which... I, I, mm. The Star Wars fandom has always just been shit fucking trash people, for the most part. Yeah. And, you know, it, it feeds right into the whole, like, like cosplay gatekeeping. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, that shit absolutely. fucking, oh, just really just burns my ass. Well, I think that's burning my ass currently is the whole Baby Yoda debacle. Oh. Other people we know like, that it's not Baby Yoda. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. If I have to hear one more fucking person or read one more person say, uh, actually, it's not Baby Yoda. This takes place after Boda Boom. Shut the fuck up. It's like, oh, God. Yoda has never been given a species name. Nope. All we know is Yoda and, and Yaddle. But no one's going to say, it's Baby Yaddle. No, no. it's fucking Baby Yoda. Yeah. Okay. Fucking deal with it. But apparently, like, on all, like, the merchandising, it's referred to as a child. child. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. But they've come out and said that they don't care that it's called Baby Yoda because nobody knows what the fuck Yoda is. Yeah, it's true. He's adorable. Leave him the fuck alone. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's 50 years old and he still wants a nappy. I get it. That's true, man. I'm going to be 50 years old and want a nappy. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking. I want a nappy right the fuck now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Don says, I'd ride my horse to the movie house in town and tie him to a tree when I went in and watched the latest Disney film. Then I'd go home and copy copy every Disney book I could find. (laughs) (laughs) Just fucking... (laughs) He's like an internet pirate before there was internet pirates. That's true. (laughs) On a fucking horse. So I guess he'd be like... The Pony Renegade. (laughs) (laughs) He's just uh, like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the Disney show. <laughs> uh, draw till I can't no more. In 1954, the family moved to Santa Monica, California. He was a senior in high school, and after a year at Brigham Young University in Utah, he brought a portfolio to the Disney studio in Burbank. He was immediately hired in 1955 as an assistant animator and put to work on Sleeping Beauty. Boom. He worked as an assistant to John Lounsbury. Oddly, after finally realizing his dream, he left in 1957 after only two years. I left, I think, because I found it kind of boring. I didn't want to do it. Which... Nah, I'm good, Imagine the type of creative mind you have to have if you think that Disney is boring. Yeah. You're like... Eh, been there, done that. Yeah, I'm done. What's next? He then embarked on a mission for the Mormon Church to Argentina. After two and a half years, he returned to Los Angeles, but not to a career in animation. Though he worked at Disney um, as an assistant on The Sword and the Stone for around a year, his main efforts were in live theater. Hmm. He opened the Bluth Brothers Theater with his younger brother Fred in an old supermarket in Culver City. They produced musical plays with local talent for two to three years. The shows included such traditional favorites as The Music Man and The Sound of Music. Aw, classics. Hell yes. Often Don was the musician playing the piano. One attendee stated it was like an old movie musical where kids decide to put a show on in a barn. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds awesome. Hell yeah. 
Still not finding what he was looking for, he returned to college and finally graduated with a degree in English literature. And afterwards, he decided to try again in animation. In 1967, he began working at Filmation, where he worked in layout. In his spare time, he organized groups of young singers and called them the New Generation. Numbering 60 at the time, the group toured around the States and even Mexico. Olay. Though he was making good wages at Filmation, working on such series as The Archies and Sabrina, ah. he wasn't satisfied. I realized that all of the industry out there was really making trashy art that wasn't good for kids to look at and eventually ended up in the trash can anyway. Everything was for money. Nothing was for art, he recalled in 1976. I grew tired of that and said, well, if I'm going to do this for a living, why don't I go back to Disney because they do it right? Can I have my job back? Can I have it? <laughs> Can I have it? April 1971 found him once again at the Disney studio in a new training program. He was the first of this new group to reach the rank of animator after only two months. Boom! That's top shelf yes. talent. His first project as animator was Robin Hood in 1973. Oh, awesome. Followed by work on Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2 in 1974. He then moved up to directing animator on The Rescuers in 1977, then to animation director on Peach Dragon in 1977. Oh, man. Next came to the title of produced a director on The Small One, 1978. It was all much different because Walt was gone, Dad said in 1990. It was a committee running the place. The pictures did not look very good. I was no longer encumbered with a romantic film over my eyes. I could see a little bit more clearly. Did which get that grit and the grime? Which just, you see it. It's like how Walmart is now. Yeah, I bet. Sam Walton is rolling in his fucking grave because it's how Walmart is now is not how he envisioned it. Right. Because, like, Walmart back in the day, I remember their big tagline, you know, made in the USA, all that stuff. And, you know, it's like, boy, it's like slave wages now. It's yeah. like... And they're, like, getting shit right now, too, because they don't pay holiday pay. Oh, right, that they were, like, what? Like, what they, discounts or I, something? I worked at discount? Walmart for five years. What they do... Yeah. is they give you a 15% discount to add to your 10% discount. So a 25% For discount. one transaction. That is lame. And if you accidentally, because it's the first transaction once you once it's unlocked. <sighs> if you accidentally buy a bag of chips. That's it. That's your 25% discount. <sighs> yeah. Dude, I'd, I'd try to abuse the fuck out of that. I'd be like, boom, give me that PS4. I bought, I bought this laptop with that. Did you? Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um... Which is like, wow, this Shave laptop is old as fuck. <laughs> um, during this period at Disney, Don met Gary Goldman and John Pomeroy. The three found that they had similar thoughts on animation and became a true team. Any recounting of Don's career after meeting these two is incomplete without them. In some ways, they became the three musketeers of animation. When they began thinking of starting their own studio, rather than come up with some form of grouping of names, initials, or a catchphrase, all three immediately thought of calling it Don Bluth Productions. Boom. Without a name, we called Don, we would just be Acme Animation, and we wouldn't have had a chance. When you create a hero heroic figure, that's what you're marketing. Not just a production. We decided to call it Don Bluth. Which is smart. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's lightning in a bottle right there. It's like... Disney's Disney for a reason, you yeah. know what I mean? 
Starting as far back as 1973, Don, along with Gary and John, began purchasing and collecting the tools and equipment of their trade and undertook the enormous task of writing, directing, and producing their own animated films. The crew worked with a number of other artists in Don's garage. With so many fucking of these, like, origin stories start in California garages. It's true. You know, you're like, okay. It's like, wow. I I kind of missed the boat uh, not being in a garage in California. (laughs) You know what? We're in a fucking spare room in Illinois. Yeah, that's true. I think we're doing pretty alright for ourselves. People thought we used the garage on purpose because Walt Disney started in a garage. (laughs) But we weren't that shrewd. We simply couldn't afford any place else. My living room had blacked out curtains up and was the production room. My family room was the camera room. My bedroom had editing equipment for years. And the kitchen and the patio were the commissary. Any money we had, we put into filmmaking equipment and things that show on the screen. After one or two false starts, they decided on the featurette Banjo the Woodpile Cat. It was their desire to revive the classical animation style of early Disney classics. Their attempts to work within the Disney studio system failed. I finally came to the conclusion that it was too late to effect a change. The administration didn't want to hear anything. No. After five years of laboring nights and weekends, the picture was completed in 1979. Near the end of the featurette, Don and fellow directing animators John and Gary resigned from Disney Studio to begin their own animated feature, The Secret of Nim. They also created the short animated fantasy sequence in Xanadu. Don Bluth Productions hoped to fully compete with Disney with a slate of animated features. The thought occurred to us that maybe if we went and did this, that the Disney studio would become a competitor. Competition is usually what makes someone try harder. True. We needed Disney to try harder just to have competition. That was our very pompous attitude on our part. (laughs) But it was in our mind that competition might wake the sleeping giant. Which is like... You have to really fucking love somebody. Yeah. To create your own thing just to make that just, person yeah. be who they were. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, just think of that. You know, yeah. like. That's wild. I read an article, it was like a fake article, like one of these, like, the onion type shit where it's like, yeah. Stephen King shits out the winds of winter in a day just for shits and giggles. <laughs> yeah. Which is like. That's what this basically is. Yeah. Let's start our own thing. Let's see if we can get, can't get Disney to be how it used Light to be. Light a fire under their ass, as my dad says. Yeah. Unfortunately, Nim failed to do as well as hoped. Between that and the industry-wide animation strike, Don found himself without a project and possibly without a future, and Don Bluth Productions filed for bankruptcy. In 1983, Don, John, and Gary formed... Bluth Group to work on the historic Dragon's Lair video game. Ah, uh, yeah. The enormously popular game was followed by another video game entitled Space Ace. Work on a Lair sequel was underway when the video arcade business crashed. And once again, Bluth Studios was left without a source of income, and the Bluth Group also filed for bankruptcy. Cool. However, during this great period, Don met Morris Sullivan, a businessman who believed in the classical animation style. Together, they formed Sullivan Bluth Studios and were able to negotiate a film deal with Steven Spielberg to do An American Tale. Oh, yeah. And initiate talks with the Irish government about opening a studio in Ireland. An American Tale debuted and became the highest grossing animated feature in history on first release. That's baller. Spielberg and Bluth followed this up with The Land Before Time, which did equally well at the box office. Oh, yeah. Between the two pictures, Don and his studio moved to Ireland to take residence in one of the world's most modern animation facilities. 
After Land Before Time, Blue Thunder Studios signed an agreement with the European-based Goldcrest Company for more animated features. The first of these, All Dogs Go to Heaven, debuted in fall of 1989. The next was out in spring of 1991. When in Ireland, Dom became involved with the Mormon church there. However, Dom still prefers to keep his religious convictions to himself, lest others search from... Search for some hidden agenda in his films. Hmm. Okay. I'm not preachy, stated Don in a recent interview. I'm not didactic, and I don't think these movies should do that. But I like the movies that fill you with hope. I like things that free you from the, your ills, your prejudices, and all other things that hold us in spiritual darkness. Fucking A. If you can make people believe that they have the power to help themselves and help the world, then I think you've, gonna, you've done a great deal of good. Movies have the power to do that. Yes, they do. Don continues to oversee his studio's feature projects from beginning to end, as well as do a share of the drawing. In 1990, Don stated, I still draw about six to seven hours a day. I think the day I stop doing that, I won't be a good director. Wow. You know who else is a good director? Who's that? Our fact finder friend, Facty. Boom! The fact in the box. Mark Flood named Don Bluth his biggest inspiration. He quit Disney on his 41st birthday. <laughs> which, hey, you know? If you're going to follow in the footsteps of giants. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the 2002 GOP presidential candidate Mitt Romney is his second cousin. <laughs> which is uh, Okay, cool. yeah, yeah. Uh, his favorite of his own film is The Secret of Nim. It was yeah. his first, so, I mean... Yeah, that's it's like, hold some attachment, you know? Yeah. Make sure you join us tomorrow for day two of the 12 Days of Don Bluth. Until next time, remember that Disney always isn't the answer. And remember, you'll always be a Toys R Us kid. Indeed. I need a Don Bluth plus. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome.